More questions than answers with Julie Panessi, brought to you by the Democracy Fund. I'm here today with a well-known Canadian pastor, Artur Pawlowski, and he's going to correct me on that if I've got the pronunciation wrong. And I just, I've been really looking forward to this for quite a while because I think we have a crisis in our country, not just of religion, but of expression generally. People are terrified to say anything. And quite possibly this has been going on for a while, but we've certainly seen it punctuated over the last two years. And I think um, Pastor Pavel is going to have some unique insight into how we got here, what it's been like for him as a person of faith and as the leader of congregations, um, sort of, you know, on the tip of the spear of religious expression in our country, and uh, how we got here, what it's a symptom of, and what we can do as individuals moving forward. So for those of you who don't know, I'm sure many of you watching will be very familiar uh, with his story, but he founded and leads Street Church in Calgary and Cave of Adalem Congregation also in Calgary. He's been a controversial figure for many, many years prior to COVID, but when COVID hit, he's been really outspoken about COVID policies, including, including masking and lockdowns. He's faced fines. I, I don't know how many, you, you can start by recounting for me you know, how many sort of run-ins with the law you have had. But I think the thing that people might know you most for is um, being arrested and then incarcerated for your involvement at the trucker blockade in Coots, Alberta. So thank you so much for joining us today. I think it's so important that we continue having conversations um, and that doing so helps to dispel the fear and sort of shatters that that glass uh, wall around us that keeps us from speaking out. So thank you so much for chatting us with us today. Can you tell us in your own words what your experience has been like over the last two years challenging the COVID response in Canada? Well, for me, this journey in um, Canada to fight this totalitarian regime started way before the COVID lie. That's how I call it. It's a COVID lie. It started in 2005 when Canadian government approached our church that was feeding thousands of most vulnerable people on the streets of Calgary and declared that feeding the poor right now in Canada is actually illegal. Taking care of the homeless, it's illegal. Congregating, it's illegal. Expressing publicly your faith, illegal. I received tens of thousands of dollars worth of fines for having a sign that was not approved by the mayor that said Jesus is king. I was told that that sign offends people. I, I don't know if you remember, I became the first Canadian to be arrested for publicly reading Bible in a public park in 2006. I faced a year of jail time for my crime, seven criminal charges when police officers showed up, they said that uh, reading the Bible right now is offensive and we don't want you to do it. I'm thinking like it was a total insanity. It's like a Matrix movie. You start to look around it's like, is this for real? Now, if I give a sandwich to a dying child on the streets of my city, I'm going to be arrested penalized i mean seriously is this actual a law and behold 
it was and it still is a law. According to the mayor and the councillors in our cities, giving free goods and services is, is illegal. If I pray for you in public, that's an offense. It's illegal. If I preach, it's illegal. If I distribute printed material, it's illegal. I was charged over 300 times, over 300 tickets, 100 court cases, and 11 arrests from 2005 to 2015. So for me, it was just another day in the office, if you will. I have been well-trained by the Gestapo of today, if you will, uh, for a very long time. 2015, I win. I win at a great cost. They almost finished me off. Again, 100 court cases. I had to pay for my own lawyers at that time. I remortgaged my house seven times. I was a very successful businessman before. I had houses. I had properties. Everything I had to sell to keep fighting for Canadian rights. Because I'll tell you something historically. If freedom of religion goes all your other rights will follow. That's history. That's not gospel according to Pastor Arthur Polosky. That's history. Freedom of religion is your last alamo, if you will, last bastion of standing up for freedom. When that one goes, it's an open season for everything else. And I warned Canadians since 2005, I was very vocal. I was all over the news. I had my own TV show for four years. I was on radio. I had my own radio show as well. Of course, kicked out from every place sooner or later. No one wanted to hear what I had to say. At that time, economy was flourishing. So, you know, me warning Canadians, communism is here. Socialism is here. Um, well, the... Uh, did not care at that time so then COVID shows up and for me it was just another attempt another attack on our liberties our freedom so I did what I have been doing before I reasoned first and I always do that I reasoned with the authorities when I received a letter from City Hall telling me I have to shut down soup kitchen I asked why while we are in the middle of this great crisis I said okay I get it so we are in the middle of this great crisis and we are uh, dealing with 15 to 20,000 most vulnerable citizens in our city. What do you think they're going to do when you shut down shelters and soup kitchens? I mean, it's a, a legit question. What do you think those people are going to do when you will stop providing necessities of life for those people? Uh, of course, the answer didn't came because they don't care. They are telling you, yeah, we are doing this to protect people. We're doing this to save us and, you know, to watch over us. But the truth is they do not care if you live or die. And, and definitely they do not care about the homeless and elderly. And now we know they don't care about children as well. There is uh, this huge attack on the most vulnerable people in our society. So anyway, I tried to reason with them. I appealed it to the mayor. I appealed it to the premier, Jason Kenney. You know, at that time, people didn't know what kind of a snake and evil of an individual and hypocritical liar, pathological liar, this man is. I appealed it to the minister of justice, minister of health. Um, no one cared to even respond to me that's my that's how much they care about the most vulnerable people in uh, the province of alberta so anyway i kept feeding people they kept showing up i became the first canadian to get a COVID ticket and uh, you know as you know i have become the first 
client, if you will, the first Canadian for, you know, for Rebel News Fight the Fines. And, uh, and, and thanks to you, thanks to Rebel News and Ezra, I was able to survive this, this huge, enormous attack on my, you know, personal life, but also our church and the homeless people. So 2020, as you know, it was, it was ticket after ticket, harassment after harassment, intimidation, and the culmination was 2020. Christmas. I don't know if you remember, the government came on television and they said, kids have a, a great and safe Halloween. A few weeks later, the same politicians came on television and they said, we're canceling Christmas. Mm -hmm. We have to cancel Christmas. You're not allowed to see your brother for coffee, no more family dinners, um, you know, and they were, you know, going on with this nonsense of singing not allowed, congregating not allowed. Uh, Calgary police announced that they're going to be sending police monitoring driveways to the homes. I mean, a, a total insanity. So what I did, I had a family dinner, I invited friends, I took pictures and I sent it to the devils. I said, you, you are saying you're going to cancel God? You're going to cancel family, love? You know, you're insane. And I said, I'm canceling you. And I invited people to the biggest Christmas celebration in the country. So a lot of people showed up. We had AAA stakes, which, as you know, uh, that's a no-no because now uh, the globalists would prefer you to eat bugs, worms, and crickets, not Alberta beef, which is the safest and the most amazing meal you can potentially have. Um, it's a healthy meal, and they don't want you to be healthy. Instead, they want you to eat bugs. I mean, like some kind of an animal. Um, so um, we had also gifts for the homeless people, um, and we did the unthinkable. And I admit, we did the most dangerous thing in the country. We had Christmas carolers. We were caroling together, singing, spreading love left and right and spreading hope, which the government forbid it. And I had over 100 police officers, 52 police cars, SWAT team, anti-terrorists, believe it or not, were there. And then the chief of police and I end up with 15 more COVID tickets. And as you know, I'm still in court to this day uh, for that horrible crime of caroling and feeding people uh, with a good meal of Alberta steaks. That was 2020. And then they started to show up into our church building. I pastored two churches. One is known as Street Church Ministries, which is a church for the poor, for those that cannot, will not, or for whatever reason, um, you know, are not able to come to a regular services, church building. And then we have another one, a regular church. It's called the Cave of Adullam from the story of King David. So anyway, um, I pastor that church. I teach history and theology. And then behold, they blocked in the beginning of 2021 our driveway. It took me an hour to fend off those hyenas. Then they showed up with the telescopic cameras, taking pictures of our women and children. And, you know, people ask me sometimes, not anymore, but at that time, it was a big controversy. Why you have called those nice officers they were very polite to you. They just wanted to talk talk to you, um, Nazis and Gestapo. And people do not understand that I have been already harassed, intimidate, intimidated, and ticketed 
threatened with arrest and multi-million dollar worth of tickets for over a year. Like this was not just the first time that they showed up. They were hunting me down throughout 2020 and throughout 2021. So when they started to take pictures of our women and children, that was exactly the tactics that I have seen growing up behind the Iron Curtain. If they could not get a guy, they would threaten that man with his wife. Uh, you know, we know where she works. We know where your children uh, go to school. You know what we can do to your 13-year-old daughter? I mean, just think about it. We know where she goes to school. We know her pattern where, you know, those are the tactics of Gestapo, KGB. And I grew up in a country like, like that where officer of the law had nothing to do with the law, just like the gangsters in uniform that we see right now called peace officers. The moment those so-called peace officers show up, peace is gone. They're mafiosos they're gangsters working for the biggest mafia that we have ever seen right now canadian government so anyway fast forward april comes and here is the big story for christians for us this is the the, the biggest holy day in the year this is death and resurrection of our lord jesus christ it's all about jesus and we prepare for that day for a month fasting and praying and you know preparing the teachings and it's a very holy day it's like it's like interrupting ramadan for the muslims i mean they would chop your head off in a heartbeat and that's why in canada there is one law for me and another law for thee the muslims were not harassed intimidated ticketed there's not one imam in this country that received even a ticket not because they were not breaking the rules and regulations and mandates as you know they were meeting regularly. I have a proof. I recorded their meetings with thousands of people, uh, no tickets. During the same time we were arrested as pastors, the imams were holding their services. I have that on tape. No social distancing, majority not wearing a muzzle, singing. Um, the imam was not wearing a muzzle and that was perfectly okay because you see there's only one, one attack on patriotic Canadians and Christians. So anyway, uh, April comes, they walked into the church, as you remember, like they own the place, masked bandits, even though I trespassed them, I've told them they're not allowed to come in. They walked in without a warrant, invading the most holy place during the most holy day in a year. I mean, it was shocking. They broke Criminal Code of Canada, Section 176, without even blinking of an eye. One, two, and three subsections just walk in. So the only thing I knew, you know, what to do with armed gangsters, I just told them, get out. I mean, if every person, every man, every woman would do what I did, we would not be in this mess that we are right now. Just get out of my restaurant. Get out of my house. Get out, you Nazis, you Gestapo wannabe tyrants from our churches. Who do you think you are, you uncircumcised Philistines? Get out, you wicked, evil communists. So why do I call them those names? Because you got to understand what is happening to our beloved Canada is a communistic, socialistic takeover. And I'm not kidding you. This is communism, what we're observing right now. Communists, 
they think they are gods and you are to worship them. So every time prime minister speaks is like the Pharaoh that was considered to be God and it becomes the law. And that's why those mandates, regulations or suggestions immediately became the law. I mean, like it was insanity because you got to understand the game, what they're playing. They're playing, we are the masters and you are the slaves. And all, this will only end when the slaves, in quote, will say, no, we are not your slaves and we will not submit ourselves into your wishes. So you're not our masters, you are our servants. And, and, and again, we got to remember that we used to call those people servants, right? They are to serve mm -hmm. us. Police officers, what is their job? Their job is to serve and protect. Protect whom? Those that pay them. We, taxpayers, we pay their salary. But what happened in the past two and a half years, while they were masking us, they unmasked themselves. And you got you, you to gotta look at the big picture. Now they're not hiding what they're after. They're telling you, you will eat bugs and crickets. And you're not going to eat beef because we're going to kill your industry and uh, you will be happy. You will own nothing. We are coming after your cars, even your land. We're coming after your industry, uh, you know, energy, oil and, and gas. And you will have no means to survive and you will be extremely happy. While at the same time, those people are becoming the biggest landowners on earth, like Bill Gates is the biggest landowner in the United States of America. And we got to pay attention what they're telling you because they're not hiding. They're telling you their plans. It's just people are bewitched. People are mesmerized when they're watching CNN, CBC propaganda machinery. And I, again, listen to my accent. I grew up in a country like this. I'm telling you their plan because I've seen it being implemented on a you know day to day, uh, you know behind the Iron Curtain, uh, Poland. So, um, can I we can we pause there for a minute? I know I know that you need to get us caught up to uh, sort of spring 2021, but I think this is so interesting and important because I think if you say these things to the majority, you know, probably most of the people who will watch this interview will already be kind of sensitive to 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 what you're saying. But I think the majority of people of Canadians are still in the place where if you use the word, you know, socialism, communism, totalitarianism, what we see now is just like what I saw in Poland is just like the 1930s in Europe. If, if you say that to most people, there's a kind of dismissal or disbelief, right? And, and I wonder, is that because most Canadians just don't think it could possibly happen here. No, we're not like them. We're different. We're better. We have a democracy. We're free. Or is it because they don't really believe that those things happened in those places ever? Do they not really believe that communism took over Poland, that a kind of fascism ran through Europe in the 30s and 40s? Or is it a combination of the two or something else? No, I think it's human nature. When you look at history, and you know, unfortunately, we're not teaching our children history. If I had the power, I would bring back a real history to our schools, not propaganda, not indoctrination, but history. Why history is so important? Because if you don't know where you're coming from, you don't know where you're heading. 
the foundation has to be solid. You got to know, you have to learn about the mistakes of the past generations. Why? So you will not repeat the same stupid mistakes that the forefathers did and regret uh, they regretted that they did it right this slogan never again i'm sure you remember never again never again well we are doing it in front of our eyes why because people are in self-denial they see what's going on and it's too atrocious too 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 crazy too dangerous that the fear cripples them and they suppress that information as deep as they can or they throw it away as far as they can because in their mind they cannot agree that we are so stupid that we are repeating the same evil that just few years ago we witnessed during the nazi uh, regime and during the stalinism you know soviet uh, european takeover um majority of canadians do not know history and it's very interesting because I see a huge parallel between Germans in early 30s and Canadians today. You got to remember, Germany was a Protestant nation, just like Canada is. A majority of people are Protestants. Majority of Germans were Protestant. So when Adolf Hitler came to power, and by the way, he was democratically elected as the chancellor of Germany in 1933. So when people saw him coming, they... They kind of knew he is evil. They kind of understood his ideologies out crazy. However, he was still okay for the German people. They had their businesses and life was good. And he revived economy. And, you know, it was like a little bit of a kumbaya. Yeah, he was attacking Jewish people, but I'm not a Jew. So who cares? Oh, he was attacking homosexuals. But hey, I'm not a homosexual. So who cares? He was going after other parties. Well, I'm not really political. So who cares? As, as long as I can go to a movie and cheer my best hockey game and restaurants are open well my life is good i mean why should i why should i um get involved right and germans did the same mistake for those few years because you got to remember from 1933 everything uh, uh, speed you know spun up really really fast it took only a few years when he annexed austria attacked Czechoslovakia, and then of course started the second second world war uh, you know too so um the pattern is identical um you gotta remember that during the fascism the nazi era uh, during the communism the government was your god you were commanded to obey to listen everything and to trust the government the government was your big daddy your government was your god and whatever they said automatically became law that's why i call them gestapo kgb socialist communists because they are acting in an identical manner just like the nazis in 30s and the stalin you know followers of stalin uh, after the second war i remember when i was growing up in school they were teaching us those famous um words diadushka stalin in russian it means grandpa stalin they were telling us that stalin is the savior of europe so we were commanded to call him diadushka stalin the savior of europe i mean right now is the same 
the same thing. Uh, they they are telling you one thing, but they do totally opposite, just like the communists. We got 50,000 communists that were ruling over 36 million Poles. The 50,000 had everything, and they could get away with the murder, literally. And there was one law for me, one law for thee. Just like Justin Trudeau, he just arrived for his vacation, not wearing a muzzle, even though it's his mandate. He is implementing those things. But you see, you are a slave. You got to remember those are psychopaths, sociopaths. They are wannabe pharaohs. They're communists. They're fascists. When you went against the Nazi party, you end up in Auschwitz-Birkenau or Dachau or other, other concentration camps. That's exactly what we're seeing right now. When you oppose the totalitarian regime that we have in Canada right now, because we're truly living behind the Iron Curtain in China, some kind of a hybrid um, of socialism and and, and fascism uh, so uh, when they are implementing those so-called laws those laws do not apply to them because they're pharaohs they they're gods and gods don't have to obey the same rules like a commoner or a slave and you see that pattern everywhere england australia united states uh, jason kenny right after we were brutally arrested in the middle of the highway for doing what? Like, what is my crime? What did I do? I gave hope to the people in a very tragic circumstances. I fed the poor that no one else was feeding. I saved lives. I gave people hope. And for that, I was arrested, not for committing a crime. They are criminals. So well, now I was going to ask you, why do you think you are on the tip of this spear? Why are they going after you so much? And you may have just answered that question, which is that you, not the government, not the powers that be, but you are a source of hope for people. And that's not allowable in a totalitarian state, is it? We, we in some sense, um, we're seeing a secularization of society in some sense, and religions are... Um, dying in some sense, but also uh, totalitarianism, it's not a secular alternative to religion, is it? It's, a, it's its own kind of religion, and it offers people this utopian ideal that if you just follow me, if you just trust me, I will solve all of your problems, I will eliminate your fears, I will give you this kind of heaven on earth. But the source of that comes from the state, right? Do you think that that's why you have been, you personally have been so persecuted by the government because you are such a passionate source of hope and, and self-reliance for people and that's what's ultimately a threat to the state? I think it's a combination of a number of things. First of all, I am a Polish immigrant. So I've seen this movie before. I grew up behind the Iron Curtain, which I see, you know, the same thing being implemented in our beloved Canada. I escaped a totalitarian regime. That's a threat too. Also, I saw solidarity movement coming to power in Poland in 1980 with my own eyes. I saw the solidarity movement. I saw the power of the people when people finally decide to come together it's over for the 
for the villains. It's over for the tyrants. Mm -hmm. We have the power. I mean, we did not realize that we are actually the most powerful force in our countries, but we have to unite enough of division enough i don't like him i don't like her i don't like the way he's using uh, his language or i don't like uh, because he is an atheist or he is a christian like enough of division he's black he's white he's native he's this and that you see that's what they want they're predators we have to understand the communists and fascist tyrants are predators how do predator hunts while well, they hunt in packs that's why you always saw this, this huge amount of police officers, this huge amount of power, the force. Every arrest that was arrested, it was over the top. It was like, like a, a pack of wolves, a pack of hyenas, uh, you know, pouncing, attacking. It, it was insane. Why? Because visual effects are very important for them. They want this drama. They want to show this overkill so they would be able to scare others. How do predators hunt? They isolate, they separate, and they look for the most vulnerable, elderly, you know, suicidal, people hooked on drugs. Those are people that will be easily manipulated, children youth they're going after the homeless people of course uh, those are um, easy targets they're wounded already and predators always bring first fear first they need to scare those that they're attacking and then isolate and segregate and and then boom it's it's over for that for that victim they are predators they're extremely dangerous psychopaths and they will never stop those types of individuals history is teaching us that they will never stop justin trudeau will never stop you gotta understand that he's not capable of stopping because he loves dictatorship he loves to be the king and you are his slaves he's showing this over and over over and over again and who do you think you are to oppose him he calls you names when you call uh, you see I call them names. I end up front page all over Canada. How dare I? But he calls us names all the time. He he insults Canadians all the time. And that's somehow okay. Because they truly believe that they are gods. And here is an interesting situation. This is a, a power struggle, if you will, between the real God, God of the Bible, and them, the pharaohs, the wannabe gods. It's again this historical moment of let my people go so they can worship me. This is a Moses versus um, Ramses. This is a moment uh, between Pharaoh, the tyrant, and the people that are sick and tired of being slaves. That's our moment right now. And look what happened historically. The moment people rose to power, within their own understanding that maybe me by myself i'm not capable of tackling that mountain but with my friends with the support group that's why churches were so targeted because churches historically mm -hmm. psychologically spiritually and physically are the support group uh, and again if the church is strong for the totalitarian regimes, it's extremely difficult to destroy the society because the society keeps it together. 
right? That's why it's so important to keep coming when they tell you segregate or separate, you do the opposite. You even come more with your friends, with your family. When they tell you you cannot have dinner, invite your neighbors. I mean, you do the opposite what the predators want you to do because if you know the game, you know that they have a plan and that plan is to hurt you and to hurt your children. Uh, so I know I, I know the psychology behind, I know the tactics uh, because first of all, I studied history and not just the modern history, but thousands of years, the Babylonian, the Persians, the Roman empire, uh, the Ottoman empire, the Vikings, you know, I've studied those moments, those historical moments, and I see identical pattern. So I have become a threat because I educate people about what they are observing, seeing today, but also I represent a higher power. You see, they are telling you they are the power in the country. And here comes pastor with a broken English. And he says, no, there is someone higher than you, Mr. Prime Minister. There is someone higher than you, Mr. Mayor or Mr. Premier. There is God that will, will one day judge every word you said and everything you have done. One day this judge, he is a judge of judges that doesn't take any bribes and you will be accountable for everything you did on this side of eternity. Oh, I'm telling you, tyrants hate that. What tyrants hate is accountability, is the notion of accountability that one day my actions will be judged. That's why it's so important, so crucial to make them accountable, to bring back the check and balances, to bring back the Nuremberg trials number two is so crucial. Why? This is not vengeance. This is not going after, you know, Jason Kenney that imprisoned me uh, for no reason uh, while he partied at the Sky Palace, breaking the same rules and regulations. And of course, there are no consequences to his actions. Um, but me opening a church suddenly has become a threat to a national security um, while he was drinking with his ministers and somehow that was okay but me praying for people was not I mean total insanity because you got to understand they truly believe they're gods and um, we have to understand that if we will not make them accountable that's how crucial this is I hope that people are, are going to grasp what I'm trying to say if you don't make them accountable just a matter of time trust me history is teaching this this that some other people with other faces and other names will come again and will try to finish the job if we don't make them accountable for what they did to us today tomorrow is round two and maybe you will not survive this next attack cancer spreads there is no other way to deal with cancer but cutting it out so that's why i decided after being asked by thousands thousands of people uh, to involve myself in politics because i realized that if us that we have become victims of this totalitarian regime will not engage ourselves in those mountains of influence well well we cannot really complain that this huge evil has taken over our country so we need to run for office we need to take over educational system we need to take over media we need to take over political arena 
because if we don't do it, they will. It's mm -hmm. just a matter of time. They will finish us off. So uh, this Saturday, I'm going to make my announcement that I'm going to run for a leadership of a party here in Alberta. And I'm going to run uh, for the position of MLA because I realized, I think maybe for the first time in my life, that those people will not let me live my life. I don't think they're going to allow me to be pastor. And that's, ex that's the only thing I want to do. Leave me people alone. Let me do what I'm good at. I'm good at saving lives. I'm good at feeding, organizing soup kitchens. Leave me be. You don't have to be part of this. You don't have to believe what I'm saying. Just leave me alone. I'm doing my job as a clergyman, but they don't want to do that. So if you don't want to, if you don't want to allow me to live my life, then I guess I have to become more powerful. So what was chasing me yesterday, I will be chasing tomorrow. There's, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, you said something earlier when we were talking about the 30s in Germany and how so many people just dismissed what was going on with Hitler because they said, well, I know they're, I know they're persecuting the, the Jews and the other, other racial minorities and, and maybe the mentally infirm, but I don't belong to that category, so why does it matter? And I can see that happening in Canada now, you know, even even with something like the Black Lives Matter movement, I don't know if it gets centralized traction because, well, most people don't don't, you know, most people are not or do not feel themselves victims of 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 racism or sexism or any kind of stigmatization that's attached to being visibly unique. Right. Do you think that this is having an effect on sort of neutralizing us, watering us down? Um, because we feel that, well, anything we do, anything we, we do to speak out or stand out or make ourselves conspicuous in any way, you know, you kind of stick your hand out, it's going to get cut off. So I better just be safe. I better just toe the line. What is the line? Okay, I'm going to toe it. And because you do see this among people. I mean, I taught um, philosophy in university for a long time, and there's been a shift over the last 15 or 20 years towards students being afraid to say anything. When up to the 90s, they were very keen to, I mean, they were a little bit juvenile in their defensive positions because they were young and they were learned, but they were passionate. And now it just seems like people are afraid to say anything that steps outside of the mainstream of what's acceptable. And Canada, especially with our Charter of Rights and Freedoms, is supposed to protect what we might call um, unique uniqueness or unique identifiers, right? I mean, freedom of association, freedom of expression, freedom of religion, these are all protections for the things that might set us apart, that might put us at risk of being ostracized or threatened in some way. Do you think ultimately this kind of increasing presence of authority and, and totalitarianism, as you've put it, is, is changing our personalities and making us more neutral and making us more afraid to be unique in a number of different ways, including religiously, because we're seeing a decrease in, in religion and an increase in religious persecution all over the world. You know, there is this famous saying that injustice somewhere is injustice everywhere. Um, people are making a big mistake. They think, well, I'm not a Christian, so who cares? Um, if mm -hmm. they 
Christians will disappear. Uh, it's not a big deal. We have to understand that the concept of cancer, like I said, cancer spreads. And if you look into history, you will find out what I and others that actually study history um, has um, have found out is that in the end of the day, the villains and the victims all become victims. So you can ignore this persecution <laughs> against pastors and Christians today because you're not a Christian, so who cares? But I'm telling you, tomorrow, it will be your turn. Tomorrow, you will be subjected to something, but Christians will not be there to defend you. And, and that's how it goes. That's how the story, historical story goes. If you see an infringement from the government against one minority or majority, or doesn't matter, one group of people, and if you choose not to do anything, you will be next. It's just a matter of time, not, not if, but when. So people are making a big mistake because they have been indoctrinated. They have been brainwashed for a very long time. Since when? Since when me drinking a coffee with milk and sugar is a racism, right? If you like your coffee black, I don't care. I mean, whatever, whatever works for you. You like your coffee black uh, and I like my coffee white, therefore I'm racist, right? If I have a different opinion than you, I'm an evil person, I'm a terrorist, I'm a hater, if I don't agree with your lifestyle, so let's say you're a prostitute, you're going around, you know, left and right spreading, you know, diseases. I disagree with that lifestyle. Somehow I'm a hateful man because I disagree with your life choices. No, I just have a different opinion on life choices. So if I if I don't support distribution of drugs, and as you know, when I was in prison, every single day, multiple times a day, we were offered cocaine and fentanyl from the guards, <laughs> not from the inmates. The guards and the nurses are the biggest drug pushers in this country right now, working for the biggest mafia that we have ever seen, our own government. So I disagree with use of cocaine and fentanyl i actually speak against it why because i work with after effects when people abuse drugs and they come and their families are broken and and their lives are broken and everything is is just a mess so that means if i oppose cocaine and fentanyl i'm a, a hateful man you see the idea of what happened with let's agree to disagree let's just have a, a good a debate and just move on have a coffee and it's not a big deal we just are two different individuals that just disagree on certain topics i disagree with my wife from time to time i disagree with my children from time to time that doesn't mean i hate them i just have a different opinion on that topic and we move on we still respect each other and love each other we just see things a little bit differently why because we're different individuals we've lost that this common sense in Canada. Why? Because totalitarian regime only allows one opinion. That's why I'm going back strongly to the notion that we don't have democracy anymore. We are living behind the Iron Curtain once again. This is communism, fascism, and socialism hybrid that they 
that, that they formed when only one opinion is allowed theirs. If you are saying anything contrary to the gods of the land, or if you're competing with the gods, with the pharaohs of the land, like me, when I remind them that there is a real God that will find them accountable for what they have done, that they will pay one day for what they have done, uh, well, I become the, the enemy number one, the enemy of the state. Why? Because I dared to tell those wicked, evil individuals that sooner or later justice will come on this side of eternity or on another side uh, of eternity. But one day the judge will judge them for what they have done. Uh, that's an unacceptable notion. How dare you? Who do you think you are? You are just a slave. Slaves are not allowed to have an opinion. Do you know why they put a muzzle on people's faces? It's a very psychologically, um, you know, historically um, a simple answer. I don't know why people don't see that. And again, because they have not studied history. Historically speaking, when you put a mask on someone's face, you send a message, not just to that individual, but to everyone around we are taking your identity away from you. In other words, we don't care who you are, we don't care who you were yesterday or who your father was, it doesn't matter. We are taking that identity away from you and you are just a social insurance number to us. Also what they're saying to you, your voice doesn't matter, your opinion doesn't matter. We're taking that away from you. You have a metaphorical no muzzling. Right, so mm -hmm. you're muzzled, you're, you have no face, you just scary looking eyes and you have no voice. That's exactly what happened. And I said that at the very beginning, because when the Africans were taken from, from the continent, uh, they would put masks on their faces, psychologically damaging them, saying, hey, we don't care. Oh, you were a prince when you were in your tribe. Who cares? Here you're a slave and you have no say. Well, and it's not just the effect on the viewer of seeing a masked person but the effect on the person from wearing a mask. And, the, and, and a lot of people have said that they didn't want to remove the masks because they got so used to the sort of social anonymity of it all and being protected from having others see their facial expression that it became a sort of social crutch. So on, on both sides of, of the masking issue, we've really altered our, our social psychology. I, I know we're, we're a little past this in the conversation now, but I wanna just take you back to your experience in prison because I think what you had to say about the drugs in prison will have stopped some people in their tracks. And I think one litmus test or symptom for, or a test, you know, for how a society is doing is what things look like in the prisons of that society. Can you tell everybody how long you were in prison and what your experience was like, how you were treated there? Well, first of all, I have been arrested already 16 times, over 340 citations and over 100 court cases. So when the truck convoy came, I was already arrested multiple times, and I was asked to conduct church service for the truckers and feed them. And that's what I do. I feed people and I do church services. I mean, I'm a pastor. <laughs> I never 
I never pretended to be somebody else. I preach the Bible, take it or leave it. No, don't force anyone. You don't have to be in our church. You don't have to be in our lineup. You can keep moving and not a big deal. Uh, I won't be crying if you say, I don't like what you have to say. You are entitled to your opinion. So the truck convoy asked me to be part of that. And I'm telling you, this was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in this country. What I saw was, people coming together in solidarity, uh, Blacks, Whites, um, uh, Native Americans, Asians, it didn't matter. You Cree, it didn't matter from which country you came, uh, what color of your skin was, uh, what religion, you could be an atheist. Uh, people were bringing children and their dogs and, and their cats and people were cooking for each other and blessing each other and praying for each other and laughing with each other. It was like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And all of that was done under the umbrella of Canadian flag, freedom, mm -hmm. liberty. It was absolutely beautiful. So um, I did a number of church services in Calgary while they were on the way to Ottawa. Mm -hmm. We fed the people, we gave them tons of stuff to take. And then I was asked to do the same thing in Milk River and in Coots. Milk River is the border uh, town uh, between Montana and Alberta, and Coots is the point of entry. So I did my service with my son and the worship leader, uh, Larry, in um, Milk River. With about 50 cruisers, RCMP recording me taking pictures, not a big deal. I'm, I'm used to them recording what I say, and I'm not ashamed, and I'm, I'm not hiding what I'm preaching. Um, it's public. I do live streaming. Hey, take it or leave it. So this is Canada, not North Korea. I'm not afraid to preach the Bible um, in, in, you know, and I should not be uh, afraid to, to, to be able to express my faith. So I did that in Milk River. We had Lord's Supper. And then I went to the RCMP and I said, hey, I want to go to Kutz and do church service there. And they opened the barricade, RCMP opened the barricade for me and we went to Kutz. I did the same thing. We did a worship session. We did Lord's Supper, a communion. And then we, I gave a speech, a 19 minute speech where I said to the people, hold your line, stand strong, don't give up your rights, but do it peacefully. Three times I said during my speech that this is a peaceful, uh, uh, you know, uprising. This is a, a solidarity style movement, no guns, no swords. Uh, later on, the premier of Alberta, this pathological liar, Jason Kenney, go, uh, comes on television and he says that Dr. Polaski was inciting people to commit acts of violence against other people. I mean, they're pathological manipulators and liars. So anyway, I gave my speech, not a big deal. We had a supper together and then we went home. RCMP was there. Uh, no one stopped me. No one said a thing. And a few days later, as I was coming from my home, it turned out that they were parked for a week, monitoring me coming in and going out. When I stepped out of my house, it was a total gong show. It was like a takedown of El Chapo of Calgary, Escobar of Alberta, Al Capone of Canada. There was RCMP officers, detectives, uniformed Calgary police, SWAT team officers, and uh, undercover cops. I was arrested, interrogated for hours, and then taken to prison. In prison, I was stripped naked and placed in solitary confinement. Can you believe it? Internationally, it 
uh, international laws are stating that solitary confinement is a form of torture. And I testify to you today that they were torturing me left and right. And not just me, other inmates as well. I, I've seen people beaten, okay? Uh, they were beaten for nothing, for no reason. They were yelled and screamed at for no reason. They were penalized thrown into solitary for no reason whatsoever just because the guard felt like doing it i remember this conversation we had with the guard when we said you're not allowed to do stuff like this this is against the law uh, against our rights and he says here here you have no rights it's what we say goes i mean that's how insane our system has become where is lawlessness and 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 it's unbelievable. The next day I was placed in metal cages, believe it or not. They put me in a metal cage like a dog. And, and then they took me from that one and they put me even into a smaller one. Like you would put a dog suffocating. It was absolutely horrible. Stripped naked a few times, uh, body checkers. I, I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. Off I went to the solitary confinement. Again, I spent over 40 days in solitary confinement and every night they would take me from my solitary cell and they would put me into another solitary cell on concrete. No washroom, no water, just for fun. I mean, that's how insane everything is. And during that time, every day they were pushing drugs on me. Come take this, you know, uh, you will feel better. Uh, fentanyl, cocaine, they had like five or six different heavy drugs uh, for us to enjoy if we wish for free. And of course, the inmates would take and they would sell, they would snort, break them into powder. I witnessed all of that selling, buying, but the biggest pushers, drug pushers were the drugs and the AHS, um, um, you know, personnel, the, the so-called nurses. Uh, I remember many times the nurse would come with a guard offering drugs and say, how are you feeling? I said, well, I'm not feeling good. Um, you're torturing me here. For 25, 26 hours, I'm not allowed to leave my cell. That's torture. And they would slam the door in my face. They didn't want to hear it. Every time they would say, how are you feeling? And I would tell them, you're not allowed to do this to me. Boom. They would slap the door. You see, why, they were not... why did they ask you, do you think? Uh, because they had a little, uh, uh, you know, a checklist. little checklist. <laughs> and they had to go to every inmate every day, twice a day sometimes. They would check on the inmates and like, okay, Artur Balowski, how are you feeling, sir? And if you would say anything, and this was not just me. Other inmates <coughs> face the same thing. If they said anything, they would there would be a slam in their face. They were only interested. Oh, you're feeling good? Okay, marked, marked. Oh, would you like this drug? Would you like this drug? Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Boom. Checked. Uh, can you we do? Uh, can we do a COVID test? And I said, Why would you do a COVID test? I'm 40 days in isolation. Like, excuse me, because you see, every time they do a check, they get paid. It's, we have this famous saying in Poland, if you don't know what the whole thing is all about, it's all about money. This is a big fat business, multi-billion dollar business, uh, the jails and it's a revolving door. There was nothing done with us, nothing, zero. No one cared about the inmates. We were stuck in a solitary confinement, no uh, no talks. There was no one that would come and sit down with the inmates and, and you know, hey, maybe you should change your ways. And no, it's a revolving door because you got to remember, Riemann centers are privately owned. 
more inmates, more money. If those people will will come back, that means more money. It's a, it's like ne never ending business. You always have clientele. And the more drugs you push on the inmates, the more money government pays you. That's how sick the whole system, so-called justice system is. Going back uh, after 40 some days, I was kidnapped by sheriffs from my solitary cell and taken hundreds of miles away to Edmonton without the knowledge of my family, without the knowledge of my lawyers. And by the way, when I was in Calgary for three weeks, they would not allow me to see a lawyer. Can you imagine, this is not North Korea, this is not China, this is not Soviet Russia, this is Canada, Alberta. You had and no not, legal representation when you were in prison. For three weeks, I was not allowed to see my lawyer. I had documents that I needed to give her. I needed to talk with her. Every time we were talking, the conversation was recorded. And finally, weeks later, when she was allowed to come, the officer was sitting next to us, marking down, writing down everything that was said. And the conversation was on a phone that constantly was saying the conversation is recorded. There goes all of my rights. I, actually, I had less rights in prison than a dog. That's your justice system. In uh, Edmonton was worse. In Edmonton, they placed me in MaxPod, which is for the most dangerous offenders. I mean, bloody murders. If you stop someone in prison, if you attack guards, you would be placed in MaxPod. I was the only offender in the entire unit, just by myself, in freezing cold conditions where I was sitting and shivering. When I complained to the guard, he laughed in my face and, and he said, at least you have fresh air. I was freezing to death. So finally, the judge heard about this the next day and they moved me from max spot. And behold, without the evaluation of the doctors or knowledge of AHS, they put me in a psych ward. I spent a week in a psych ward in Canada, just like the Soviets would do with their political opponents. They would put them in a mental institutions. I, <laughs> I, I can't even believe I can't even believe my own words. If I was not there, I probably would not believe. I was considered, they gave me a document extremely dangerous and they placed me in a psych ward with a schizophrenic that murdered his brother with a machete and I was not allowed to have a pen. They said, I asked for the pen and they said, you cannot have a pen because you're considered most dangerous in the facility. So when I was locked with a, with a, with a schizophrenic guy, uh, he had all kinds of pens and pencils. So I shared that story with him and he took his own pen and says, well, we can have mine. That's how insane this story is. You know, so I kept my faith. I started Bible studies. I um, prayed with people. I read the Bible. I did church services. Um, I actually turned my entire unit in Calgary uh, during those times that we were allowed to leave ourselves into a church. I prayed with people, I counseled them, I talked to them. I actually did their job, the job of the jailers, trying to, to shift the mind of the inmates. And you gotta remember, I was locked with murderers, I was locked with uh, human traffickers, drug traffickers, bank robbers, like serious criminals. And I did my best to shift their mind from the lifestyle of crime into a better way of living. And I did the same thing in a psych ward in Edmonton. Then I was taken back to Calgary. And of course, the, fail, uh, the, fair, the first bail hearing uh, was denied because the Crown Prosecutor 
accused me and listen to this that's how crazy those people are he accused me that my church service in Kuds caused canadian economy over 400 million dollars in damages the crown prosecutor accused me that my 90-minute sermon telling people stand for your rights don't do it any violent way peacefully cost canadian canadian society over 400 million dollars worth of damages and i have become as you know the first canadian in the history of this country to be charged with interfering with the crucial infrastructure under the defense act which is terrorism they are accusing me of acts of terrorism like blowing up pipes or or blowing up bridges um criminally i mean it's insane as we speak right now i am facing four trials one a hundred thousand dollar ticket for feeding the homeless another one for inciting uh for kutz sermon and trespassing disturbing peace criminally not wearing a muzzle um, inciting people to come to church some nonsense like that however thanks to you and rebel news um, we were able to appeal the three crooked amigos the judges i don't know if you remember the first judge um david gates that gave them the power to enter our church with anytime and with whomever they wished while they showed up with SWAT team we kicked them again they showed up again we kicked them again then they went to John Rook the associate chief justice in Alberta a John Rook crook I call him uh, he gave them the power uh, to arrest anyone that would not um, obey the AHS and all those proceedings were done ex parte without our knowledge without our ability to to defend ourselves uh, we were subjected to this craziness and they did it in secret just like the soviet russia would do a show trials everything was done in secret and then the show trial was publicized um, and the individual was guilty before even the trial started on monday after we were arrested in the middle of the highway we saw another crooked judge adam germain adam germain started the proceedings by saying john rook my boss my friend called me and asked if i would be overlooked if i will overlook uh, you know on on those cases as a favor to him i turned to my brother david and i said david it's over this is a show trial it's already decided this guy receives a phone call from his boss that did the order i mean there is no way we can win this and and i was right um i went to united states uh the judge found us guilty me on two accounts facing four years of imprisonment he gave us crazy penalties over fifty thousand dollars um 18 months probation um our a provincial arrest and then um community service and compelled speech as you remember i was ordered with my brother david and chris scott to recite government approved COVID line I mean it was insane it was unbelievable I mean you see stuff like this in China and North Korea in Soviet Russia not in a democratic country the judge ordered me to lie to people are you serious so what we said to the judge will never obey this you want to throw us in prison then do it uh, but we're not going to obey we appealed that decision and two and a half weeks ago the court of appeal finally made the right decision and we have gained the biggest victory against the COVID lie in this country the three judges ruled that everything that was done to us was illegal um it was against natural law and we were vindicated my brother David and Chris Scott of the hook 
all the probation, everything uh, is over. Uh, me, I am still on house arrest because of the sermon I did in Kut. So my adventure, if you will, is not over yet. I'm facing four more trials, serious trials. So I need your prayers. I need your support uh, because without the support of the Democracy Fund and the Rebel News, telling people what's really going on, because you got to remember the mainstream propaganda will not tell you what is really happening in your country because they're not allowed to say that. They work for the government and, and they're colluding with the government. So obviously you're not going to hear the truth from the paid professional propaganda machinery that works for the government. The only source of real information is the is the uh, social networks and independent media like Rebel News. So I did my best to kind of give you the summary. I mean, the whole thing is complicated. It has many twists um, and, and, and there is so much in it, but mm -hmm. it is what it is. It's, um, I mean, your story, your story sounds like fiction, doesn't it? it it's, I'm sure it must feel surreal to recount it. As I hear you speak and, you know, others with similar, maybe similar isn't the right word, but horrendous treatment at the hands of our government, I can't help but wonder what it would take to change people's perspective of what's going on from thinking that everything we're doing is puritanical and to keep people safe to realizing the harm we're doing. We're, we're about five minutes over time, I know, but you mentioned much earlier on that what it will take to change this is for the slaves to say no. Do you think that's going to happen? Eventually. Eventually, unfortunately, again, we're going back to history. That's why I love history so much because you can learn, you can learn from the mistake and mistakes of the past generations. History is teaching us that sooner or later people will rise up. Unfortunately, the tendency that we see in history is that they it's usually suffer. later right? they have to suffer. Their children have to suffer. Um, it took four, three generations um, in Poland. Um, and an enormous hardship and damage to our nation and damage to our children and our grandchildren. Um, so eventually people will rise up. I hope that they will do sooner rather than later. Right now, people are dying already because of the remedy uh, towards this, um, this pandemic, so-called. Um, and more people will die because of the remedy than they died because of the cause if you will um but we were warning them we were i did my best i mean i was arrested five times for warning people about what's coming hey if you don't if you're not going to believe someone that grew up in hell warning you about hell then then i guess you're stupid i mean i don't know how else to put that you know, you've we're, we're privileged. We've we've had a very most of us have lived in Canada when we've never faced real adversity of any kind. We've we've had the the we've had sort of the burdens and luxury of that, right? And comfort is the big enemy um, because people don't want to lose what they have, and they have pretty good. So I want to keep what I have, and and this is what I've heard all the time from the people in authority. Um, I. I have to obey orders because if I don't, I will lose my pension. Mm -hmm. Don't you understand that there will be no pension in the future if this country collapses? Listen, in the end of the day, totalitarian regimes are killers. 
they are destroyers. Look what NDP is doing in every province when they take power. They destroy economy. They're the destroyers. Well, look what the liberals are doing. They're the destroyers of freedom and our economy. The killers, the bloody cancer. And cancer will keep spreading and keep killing until people will rise up and say, hey, we got to cut this out. We got to start voting for new people. And that's why we cannot do this game of revolving door. Uh, we got to vote for a lesser evil. Uh, don't you get it? You're voting for this snake or that viper. In the end of the day, it's going to kill you anyway. Stop doing what brought us into this disaster in the first place. We need to vote for new people. We need to vote for new party, brand new. Forget about establishment. They have proven in the past three years that they don't care if you live or die. And right now, it frustrates me so much because now suddenly those politicians came and they started to talk about freedom and, and we, we love the charter and we love the constitution and we are always for the people. Seriously? Seriously, you kept your mouth shut for the past two and a half years. You watched people being arrested, dragged, bank accounts frozen and, and democracy completely um, destroyed. And suddenly when it's popular or it's more popular, now you're popping up and you say you're for the people. I mean, seriously, and people buy that? This is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. Listen, only people that are real are the ones that were willing to die for you. Those that paid the price, those that, those that were willing to receive tickets and, and be arrested, those that stood for everyone, for every right, those are the people that you can trust. Those other snakes, they are playing a game of politics. Oh, if you don't vote for conservative party right now, for Pierre, uh, well, the liberals will take it. It's fine. Let the whole thing sing so we can have a brand new system. I say, if you keep voting for the same parties over and over again, please do not complain. Keep your mouth shut and enjoy the crazy hellish ride. If you want change, let's rise up from the grassroots. Let's bring something brand spanking new and vote for people that maybe they're not polished. Maybe they're not professional politicians, but look what the professional politicians did to us. Do you want professional politician? Or perhaps you want a, an average Joe that just lost his business and he understands the pain that people are going through because he was subjected to the tyranny and the pain. I would vote for that man in a heartbeat than uh, for a professional politician. I'm sick and tired of professional politicians and professional clergymen that implemented this tyranny on the rest of us. I think professional politicians should be an oxymoron, but that's probably the start of a whole other conversation. So thank you, Arthur, so much. Uh, you, you are unbreakable, and I, I think, and serve as a very good model and inspiration for the rest of us, especially those who see what's going on, but find it hard to maintain confidence and hope on a daily basis. Thank you so very much for what you have done, what you're going through, and what you're, you're helping to do to bring us together. Thank you. Thank you so much for covering this and for letting others know what's really going on. And thank you for um, defending me. I mean, without you, um, who knows? Who knows how how the story would uh, be unfolding today.